Hello, and welcome back to Climbing the Ivy on the Fan Sided Network. This is your host, Alex Pat, and today we have another guest host this week. Adam McGinnis is once again busy. We have fellow Cubby's Crib writer Marty Fenn with us. Marty has been on the show before, and now he gets to be just a co-host with me. So, um, Marty, welcome to the show. Thanks, Alex. Good to be back. Great to have you back. So, as we talk on this lovely Tuesday, June 4th, some good, some bad to talk about. It was a rough weekend in St. Louis, to say the least. The Cubs made a few moves, and we had the MLB draft first two days. So far, have a little more to go, but... The first round is all set and done. The Cubs picked 27th overall. We'll talk about that. And we'll also talk about this upcoming series with the Colorado Rockies. All right. So, uh, Marty, let's just get right into it. Let's kind of start with the bat. I kind of want to talk about this right off the bat. Uh, The Cubs were swept in St. Louis, and it was pretty frustrating because you lost a couple of close games that you really could have won because... You didn't drive in runs. You had opportunities to score. There were runners in scoring position with less than two outs that you easily could have gotten in. And they just they just didn't do it. So it ended up being a sweep in a series that you probably could have won two or three of. Uh, Unfortunately, those kind of frustrating losses are going to happen. We've had some slumps at the plate. Uh, What was your overall reaction or observation from that series? Anything good or bad that people maybe not have been talking about or something people have been talking about? Uh, A couple things for me. I think firstly, um, you know, I I feel like there's a tendency with this team, especially they go through phases where they'll rack up like 10 to 15 strikeouts per game. Um, You know, you got a, a soft throwing guy like Wainwright on the mound and granted he walked seven, but I believe he had, he was approaching double digit strikeouts Um, and I think especially, you know, that's very pertinent with the runners in scoring position. I can think of, uh, especially Schwarber in the last couple of series between Houston and St. Louis, um, you know, striking out with runners in scoring position. I think in St. Louis, the bases were loaded. Um, and just those high leverage situations, not really doing enough to put the ball in play and try and Mm -hmm. make sure runs that way. Um, so I think that for me has been the most notable, you know, it, it just as high on base percentage guys as we have, like Anthony Rizzo and Chris Bryant, um, and even Schwarber guys who can manufacture walks and get on base. Uh, you still need to find a way to put the ball in play because if you're just going to, you know, load the bases just so that Baez or Schwarber or, and not, not to knock those guys too hard because they, they have produced on occasion, um, Baez more so than Kyle, uh, but you know, if you're not going to put the ball in play in those situations, then it doesn't matter how many walks we get or how many base runners we get. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty important because if you remember when the season started, one of the things I raved about on Twitter and social media was the Cubs ability to put the ball in play with runners at third base, because I mean, that's how you generate runs, whether it's a hit, a sack fly, or just driving in a run, even if it's like a suicide squeeze or something, they were able to put the ball in play with solid contact like you said there were a lot of strikeouts over the past week or so and you know the other thing was is that when they were making contact with runners in scoring position it wasn't good contact you know a sack fly you gotta hit it pretty well get it deep enough to score a run a lot of pop-ups a lot of slow grounders you know that's not good contact 
let's say you you drive and run on a ground out, a sharp ground ball to a point where a fielder only has to make one play. You saw a lot of those go right back to the pitcher. You're not scoring a run on that. Right. Well, and I think one of the things for me, too, is the times that they did happen to make hard contact, there was someone, I mean, it was either like, for example, when Chris Bryant was facing Andrew Miller, um, you know, he, he hits a line drive off his glove. If that ball doesn't hit his glove, then we tie the game, and who knows what happens in extra innings. Um, or the last two innings, because I think that was in the seventh after the rain delay game. Um, but it was one of those things. And then, you know, guys like Rizzo hitting two lasers at that Colton Wong makes fantastic plays on both times. Yeah. Um, so it's also it's also one of those. But uh, the problem is how many, you know, how many breaks or bad breaks can you get before it's just like, OK, well, we, we need to start manufacturing runs in any way possible. And that's why I actually loved um, like the Descalso bunt that he had in that game that snapped the the hitless streak um, with runners in scoring position. Of course, it didn't even score a run. Yeah, uh, go figure, right? Yeah. Or, and I know this wasn't against St. Louis, but like even KB laying down that bunt yesterday against the Angels. Um, mm-hmm. I just I just think they need to do more of that to keep opponents on their toes and um, you know, hitting against the shift, just the little things uh, that will kind of change how how defenses play different hitters and um, and how opposing pitchers, uh, you know, attack the hitters. I am so glad you brought this up because one of the things I wanted to kind of talk about was the fact that the Cubs were getting demonized by the Babbitt gods. Now, a lot of it can just be bad luck. Bad luck is part of the game. It usually evens out. But I mean, I I think you can make an argument that teams just have the Cubs scouted well. When you looked at Colton Wong making the first play on a Rizzo liner, yeah, he had to jump up and make a nice catch. Or, yeah, you know, Kyle Schwarber hit a laser in Houston and the guy was able to flag it down. They're positioned right to get a Cubs, you know, like, a Cubs make contact. Right. They're positioned perfectly to get it. They're right. positioned for a line drive or a sharp ground ball. You look at the way they shift against all our guys. And we've seen in the past, Rizzo, Kyle, when they're struggling, we've seen them bunt towards that line where nobody is. Right. I am totally with you. I sometimes think part of the Cubs' problem is that they're not adjusting enough to what they are being defended to. It's right. it's kind of like, well, if you're playing football and your top receivers are, you know, covered at all times, you know, then maybe try something else. Try right. a, a, you know, try a different play. I think that's kind of what the Cubs got to do. Uh, hit them where they're not, because where you often hit them, I think teams have really good scouting on them. And you know, the other thing about that, Alex, is that I've noticed a lot more this year in particular with pull heavy guys, um, you know, such as Schwarber they're shifting hard on the infield and then the outfield is going, you know, since he's left-handed, they're going from right to left. So mm-hmm. a couple we've seen, even the last couple of games, a couple of those hard hit balls he's had the other way have been right where the left fielder is positioned. Yes. Um, so even when you're doing the right things and taking the ball the other way, you still can't get a knock because they're starting to read you. So I think you're right. I think that um, the scouting report has been has been done on these guys, and w- one of the things I love about Rizzo when he tries to beat the shift is, you know, we've seen him at time and again when he chokes up with two strikes, and he literally will just 
throw out like a little half swing checker on a ball on the outer edge and just roll one down the line, um, you know, blue pits into the left field. And I think that a lot of guys could stand to, to take that kind of approach because at the end of the day, a hit is a hit. It doesn't matter if it's a dying quail or a 475 foot home run. Um, and we just need guys that can, that can make those kinds of things happen. You know, it's interesting. I'm looking at fan graphs now and we're talking about, you know, batting average balls in play BABIP. So this is the last seven days. So from yesterday's game against the angels, the past that week, that last week worth of games, uh, they're 26th in BABIP as a team. 250. That's pretty low. Yeah. It goes to show lots of batted balls for outs. Right. Now, what is also interesting is yesterday's game against the Angels. It felt like the Babbitt gods turned the tide in a good way on the Cubs. You had a number of ground balls that snuck through. I mean, look at Jason's Hayward, uh, Jason Hayward's RBI double. It was right over the bag. Yep. Like a ground ball right over it. You also had Kyle Schwarber hitting that little blooper into left field for a base hit. It's right. almost like they were they were owed. Yeah, yeah, it does feel like that, doesn't it? Well, I think that the other thing is, I I don't know. I just I just wonder if you know there's a lot more comfort. I mean, I, I think there definitely is more comfort being at home, but it just seems like everyone is a little bit more aggressive. Um, I don't, it, it, I don't know if that's just me. I don't know if you felt that way, but it just seems like, uh, you know, especially guys like Hayward and Schwarber, they're, they're a little bit more aggressive, but they're also not pressing as much. If you know what I mean? Like Hayward, you can always tell when he's pressing because yeah. he just, he screams out of the box when he pops up. Or, <laughs> yes, he does. He just yells. You can hear it audibly on camera every time. Things we cannot repeat on this show. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, and I think, you know, it's good to see that kind of emotion out of a player, but it it also is just usually a telltale sign that they are pressing. Um, and I think it was just good for them to get back home because I just feel like they, I don't know, I'd be interested. I don't know if you have anything up right now, but I'd be interested to see how many runs they're averaging at Wrigley as opposed to on the road because I'd be guessing it's quite a bit more. Yeah, you know, at Wrigley Field, I think part of playing at home at Wrigley Field is you know how the ballpark is. You know how unpredictable it can be with the weather, and you adjust accordingly to the weather. You know where the alleys are, where the hot zones are, the cold zones are in terms of where to hit it. You know, say, okay, the wind's blowing in. You don't want to hit it, you know, straight to left field or the ball is going to die. So you want to, you know, push it towards that alleyway. Or if the wind's blowing out, you want to try to hit in that jet stream. You look at the last few series at home, and whether they've won or lost, you could say, yeah, they've at least scored some runs. And you could look at the Houston series and say, yeah, they did score some runs. Most of them were on solo home runs that were hitting that very odd ballpark. But you look in St. Louis, they really struggled. Right, exactly. Um, I'm actually looking here. So they've actually definitely outscored themselves on the road they have 165 runs on the road and 137 at home um but the run differential is much higher at home obviously uh yeah i mean the sample sizes and i mean there's like an efficiency thing because you remember earlier in the season when they were losing a lot of those games they were still scoring a lot of runs so but at least lately lately the offense has looked better at home 
and that's what I was saying about the BABIP. Lately, last seven games, it w- it's been very low overall. Right. Well, and I can't wait for the weather to warm up just because when you get the jet stream going, um, you know, like that game that we had against Philly, that Almora Grand Slam, that might not yes. have gone out uh, if it was a typical, you know, May kind of frigid, stingy day in Chicago. Oh, um, no. But – you know, to get the weather heating up, I think you're going to see guys like, like especially KB, who can really launch the ball, Schwarber even. Um, that's just only going to serve to benefit them. So, um, you know, that's that's almost as nice a factor as any. And we also have to remember, I mean, I, I keep trying to tell people who are really frustrated with the struggles, um, just look at 2017, you know, go into the All-Star break with a losing record. And then they emerged from the season having scored the most runs in the league in the second half, highest run differential, um, and end up winning the division. So you just never know what can happen. Um, things can turn on a dime. And we've it's not like, you know, the marquee players are still struggling, right? Everyone's starting to get their slugging percentage up, get the OPS up as a whole, um, and produce and hit home runs and drive the ball around. So, um, yes, it was tough, especially – going into St. Louis and losing three, but um, that's not to say by any stretch of the imagination that these, uh, that these issues can't be resolved in a hurry. It was really good to see Wilson Contreras and Javi Baez hit home runs yesterday and had good games because both of them had been really struggling. Obviously Baez had the uh, ankle injury, the bruise, and even Joe Madden said, well, he's not 100%. And you could probably argue at this point you should have put him on the IL, but that's neither here or there. And Contreras went hitless in that whole road trip. And you could just see the frustration on him. He was watching some very hittable pitches go by. He was swinging hard, pressing a little bit. He just looked lost. So you hope that that's a slump buster. And look, Contreras had been consistently hitting well all season. I think it's fair to say he was due for a slump. Yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah, he was due for a slump. And I think it's also just guys go through their phases where they're just seeing the ball better or seeing the ball worse. Like I remember in in Houston, you know, I think he had that bad against Presley, who granted is one of the game's best relief pitchers right now. Um, But he had a, you know, there was a, he actually worked a pretty good at bat. 3-2 3-2 fastball almost at his hands, and he kind of gave one of those just bail swings where he he turned through it and then immediately just started walking back to the dugout. It was like, yeah, yeah I just t- completely whiffed on seeing any <laughs> any of that pitch out of his hand. Yeah. Uh, you know, so I think that's, that's just another factor. Guys are going to go through those phases um, because, you know, as you alluded to, baseball really is so mental and hitting especially – um, so hopefully with Javi and Willie, the fact that they did hit home runs yesterday gives them a little confidence booster heading into the homestand. One thing that I really liked in St. Louis, and it's kind of a shame that it was kind of all for not, but the starting pitching in St. Louis looked very good and the starting pitching was going through a little bit of a funk, but it looked like itself again in St. Louis. Right. Yeah, no, I mean... Between Q and Cole, Cole especially, he was really good. Um, mm-hmm. And he, it was the kind of thing where, you know, he gives up that sack fly and he was pissed. I mean, <laughs> it didn't help that Contreras made the throwing error that led to it. But as soon as that, as I think it was Wong who drove the run in on that sack fly to take the lead initially. What uh, surprised me, he's killed the Cubs. Yeah, I know. It's been crazy. Um, 
and Cole was screaming, you know, yes. as he made contact with that pitch. He was as screaming. soon as he hit it. Yes. <laughs> um, so I think it's it's one of those things where you've got gamers like Cole Hamels, John Lester, who are really, you know, they really take it upon themselves to go out and compete and try and stop a streak. And that is just as valuable as any factor. Um, you know, it's obviously we both obviously love Kyle Hendricks and it's great to have a guy just go out and be businesslike in his approach um, and get guys out. But it's also kind of nice to have those grinders um, and those, you know, really energetic types. They're getting big outs and they're coming back to the dugout, you know, screaming and yelling or whatever. Um, and I think you just kind of need some of that from your pitching staff every now and then. And sure. Um, and that was, that was definitely a positive to take away. You Darvish too was very good in his Friday night start. And he was the one to drive in the run too. I mean, you Darvish who had one RBI in his entire career was able to drive in Vic Caratini on a sack fly. Again, they had plenty of other chances to score. And unfortunately it came down to a very terrible call by Laz Diaz on strike. What should have been strike three, but wasn't, uh, I, I could go on and on about what a terrible call that was, but I think you and I can both agree it really shouldn't have come down to that. If they would have just gotten one clutch hit that, you know, the game would have been over in, right. in nine innings. Right. Well, how many runners did they strand that game too? I mean, it was a lot, at least like eight, eight to 10 or something. It was crazy. Because in the first inning you had two on one out and then you had bases loaded. You couldn't score there. And then it was either the third or the fourth. You had two on nobody out. You couldn't score there. And then Elmora tripled. I think it was either the seventh or the eighth and they couldn't get him in either. So they had their chances and you Darvish after walking the first two guys of the game, absolutely settled down and pitched a very, very good ball game. And it, it's, it's just too bad that it was all for not because I thought you Darvish looked very sharp that night. Yeah. Well, and one of the encouraging things to me is I've been, I've personally thought that he's really needed to rely a little bit more on the four seam fastball. But I agree. What he's done instead. And I think this has been fascinating and it's, it's keeping hitters off balance still is he's really mixing in the cutter in at both ends of the plate. Um, yes. And now, now his slider is really, he's really starting to kind of gain some, traction with the slider so really if he's if he's just being a a strike thrower and missing some bats it doesn't matter if it's the cutter or if it's the four seamer um when you have a wipeout slider like he does and he's throwing he's throwing it down against righties too which has been huge Mm -hmm. Uh, he's able to bury that in the dirt i think that is massive for him so um you know the fastball command will be something to watch regardless but he has looked really really good as of late in his last few so that's massively encouraging if you watch his last few starts and you look at some of the jams he's been able to get out of, he's yeah. used that cutter right, as a strikeout pitch. And I'm really glad you mentioned that because it, him incorporating that effectively makes him better. Right. Now, I still think we need to see more of the fastball command because, I mean, let's face it, having fastball command is really important. And, hey – if he uses fastball command to get more ground outs, I'm all for that yeah, because too. then you'd be throwing less pitches if he's trying to strike everybody out. Right. Right. Well, and the other interesting thing is that, you know, in terms of the, the cutter, if we go back and look at that pitch that he made to Carpenter, that backdoor 
Mm-hmm. Fastball. I mean, that was nasty. So, yes, it was. And, and I think that was telling about his his improved confidence too. So you know, if, if that's the kind of thing that we're gonna see, sure, then I'm all for that too. Because if you can whip that out, you know, with runners in scoring position in a close ball game against your rival to a tough lefty, I mean, yeah, we can we can take that all day. Um, but you know, I I definitely agree. I think that if he can command it down in the zone, especially because like last time we played the Cardinals at home, um, when he really didn't have command of his breaking pitches either, he was just kind of throwing four seamers down the heart, and they started to really rack up the yeah. hits against him. Um, so if you know if he can command the ball down and and get that going as well, he is really going to have a chance to have a special year the remainder of the year. So we'll have to see about that. Absolutely. And though he didn't pitch in the St. Louis series, he's set to pitch tonight in just a few minutes. So most of you will be, will be listening to this podcast either while the game ends or after the game, whenever. So, you know, we'll see how he does tonight. But Kyle Hendricks had a sub two ERA in the month of May. He was absolutely fantastic in that start against Houston. He was unreal. He was the reason the Cubs won. Hopefully he keeps this up, but he's just doing his thing. I don't really think there's anything more to analyze. He's just, he's doing his thing. He's throwing strikes. He's using the breaking stuff and the off speed stuff. Uh, He doesn't throw a curveball a lot, but when he does throw a curveball and it works, it is a thing of beauty. But as we know, he's the, the change up 85, 86, 87, 88 mile per hour, fastball dotting type guy. Uh, He's just being the professor. And it's huge because he could go deep into games. He can go so deep into games and what he's just so he's so analytical in how he pitches. Um, you know, I think he talked about in that after that Houston game, he said something in the post game like, oh, I knew I just didn't have the fastball after the fourth inning. So he just peppered them with more change ups and breaking balls. Yep. Um, and he just knows he just knows how to get outs. You know, he's just one of those guys like Greg Maddox knew how to keep hitters off balance. And I'm not saying by any stretch of the imagination that Kyle Hendricks is Greg Maddox, but, you know, when you have a soft thrower that can repeatedly induce those ground balls um, and just make hitters look foolish in general, throwing that change up and just burying it down, he is really on his A game right now. And I think the best part to me really is that he is traditionally a second half pitcher. So we're getting some of the best out of him in this first half. Um, and usually he just gets better as the season goes along. So if he can really continue this momentum, um, it's, I mean, he's really going to have a chance again at that ERA title, which would be really superb. And, you know, when you went into that game, watching him in Houston, he starts off good and you're like, all right, is this going to continue? Because you're obviously you're playing the Astros. Now you weren't playing a full-blown Astros team they had a number of injuries some key guys out including Altuve and Springer but you're like well he doesn't throw hard he's in a very hitter friendly ballpark depending on where you hit it I mean got the Crawford boxes in the right field corner there which you really just kind of need to pop one out to hit it out right so naturally you know one including myself could think this may not be the best matchup for him but he went out and he succeeded with flying colors. I mean, what? He gave up one run on a sack fly? I think that yep. in eight innings. Yeah. And he was able to rest the bullpen up. And then when Steve Ciszek came into that game, you can tell he was rested because he was slinging oh, yeah. it. 
Yeah, that was he, a quick ninth inning. He was humming, and his—I mean, that's—he's another guy who it's really about his fastball command. Because if he's dotting like that, and then he's using the slider as well, uh, he is one of the better relievers in baseball. And um, you know, I think we saw a lot of that for the majority of last year too, until he got burned out. So um, hopefully, we can get the the bullpen uh, some relief as well, and and get some arms in there depth wise. But that was yeah, that was fantastic to see. That was one of those games where he comes in, he immediately starts dotting, and it's just kind of like, all right, this is getting the feeling of a one two three, you know, shutdown inning. Let's get out of here, get out of Houston with at least one win. Yeah, you know, Steve Ciszek overall in his Cubs tenure has been so good. You've had a few instances where things blow up, but I mean, he'll take what he does pretty much every time because he's mostly effective. Now, you saw him blow that save against the Reds, which uh, I think all the frustration from the fan base that was building, building, building really boiled over after that game because everybody knew coming into that game C-Sheck wasn't 100%. He'd been pitching like crazy lately. He just didn't have it. It was pretty clear. So when you were able to get him rest and see him sling like that, you're kind of reminded what this guy can do. He uses the combination of command, movement, and deception. Because let's face it, he's got a funky delivery, and yeah. that can cause a lot of batters to, you know, you know, it, it, it's hard to, harder to pick up the ball. And when he's dotting it like he can you're going to see a lot of those swings and misses, even though he's not like a 95-plus mile-an-hour gunslinger. Right. The other thing that we want to mention really quickly is Pedro Strope is back, finally. He's been out for, I mean, what? It's been like a month, right? Yeah, it's it's been over a month, I think, at this point. Um, I'm trying to remember exactly when he went on the IL. The last game he pitched was when they blew the save against the Marlins on May 6th. May 6th, yeah. Yeah, that's right. So, nearly a month. It, it may as well have been a month. It's pretty much a month, yeah. <laughs> we, yeah, it's pretty. We'll just call it a month at this right. point. Right. Uh, but he's back. Uh, Brandon Morrow, not going to be back for a while. Yeah. I, I honestly, I hate to be a pessimist, pessimist with respect to Brandon Morrow because he was – so good in the first half last year, which I think gets forgotten. About. And, oh, it totally does. I mean, he he had one blown save, I think, last year. Twenty-two of twenty-three. It was uh, either one or two. One or that two was, it. was he? He was shut down, and uh, I I just don't know. I mean, he you know when you have repeated issues, both bicep and elbow related, that just does not sound like a winning formula to be quite honest. And you're Uh, 40 years old on top of that. Exactly. Um, And you know, he, the other thing to me is that he always seems to progress to where he's like, he's ready to do long toss or whatever. And then he has a setback. Yes. I just like, that doesn't make sense to me. There's gotta be some kind of, you know, there's, there's some issue that's really holding him back. Um, but we'll see. I mean, I, I maybe they're just trying to be super cautious um, as an organization. Who knows? Uh, but it would be so nice to get him back in the fray, that's for sure. Now, with all this bullpen talk, the rumors have come up lately that the Cubs will be checking in on Craig Kimbrell because now a team can sign him without giving up the draft pick. So it's almost like a second free agency is starting, mainly with Craig Kimbrell and Dallas Keuchel. 
I I'm 99.9% sure the Cubs are not interested in Keuchel. But when it comes to Craig Kimbrell, a lot of teams, including the Cubs, are definitely interested in him. It's going to be what his value is now, because let's face it, no team is going to give him six years at this point. So the value is probably going to go down. There's going to be a lot of teams battling for him, including ones in the division, mainly the Brewers, I would say. Uh, If they were able to get him, that would feel pretty big. Even though they're in on it, from what it sounds like, Ken Rosenthal first reported that, but... I don't know. I'm not really getting my hopes up until it actually happens. Yeah, I wish I could have a little bit more confidence. I think, you know, I think uh, as unfortunate as it is, I really do think that there's a lot more to the quote-unquote lack of money storyline that the Ricketses are propping up. Um, And I just don't see, uh, especially Tom, signing off on a multi-year deal for Kimbrell. Um, Now, I think if if he is willing to take a one-year deal at a higher value, like I would be willing to throw as much as like 20 million his way for one year. Um, and then, you know, he gets to re-enter the market and test his worth again. He pitches to prove his worth and test the open market again next year. Then I think that maybe there's a chance they could go out and try and sign him. Um, but if he's still going to demand a multi-year deal, I just don't see us having uh the fortitude or the assets to to actually go out there and do it. I wish we did um, because as you know, as much as has been made about his postseason struggles, this is still a guy who has never posted a K per nine rate lower than thirteen point two. Isn't is that crazy? Year, which is unbelievable. Yeah, he's still the ERA plus leader. You know, higher than Mariano Rivera, which is also incredible. Um, and frankly, he just he is a closer, and we don't we don't really have that. Moro and Pedro Strope are guys that are more converted closers. Um, you know, I'd they, still um, rather have Pedro Strope pitch in the eighth oh, inning than be a closer yeah. long term. Absolutely, exactly, and I think that it's just harder to you know to go into a converted closer role. We're seeing that with Boston right now. Um, you know, they have guys like. Brazier and Matt Barnes, who individually are very good relief pitchers, but when they get moved to the closer role, they blow half of their save opportunities. Um, and so I, you know, I would really like to think that they're going to push hard for Kimbrel, but unless it's just a one-year deal and unless he's willing to take that, I'm not sure it's going to happen. Yeah, like I said, I'm just not getting my hopes up, and there's a lot of other teams. Am I saying it's impossible? No, and I would love to eat my words and see the Cubs sign him, but. You know, we're just going to have to see what happens. I think he'll probably sign before Keuchel. Keuchel is going to be, again, I could be wrong, but this is just my prediction. I think uh, Keuchel will sign eventually somewhere, but I think the need for a closer is just something that is shared by so many contending teams, including the Cubs, the Brewers. You could argue the Dodgers, their bullpen has struggled. The Braves are going to want to bring him back. So there's going to be a lot of teams in on him. Yeah, I don't know if you – this is going to be a little scary. I don't know if you saw this yesterday, but the Brewers optioned Keston Hira back to AAA, and I am a little concerned that that means they're going to push real hard to sign Kimbrel. Uh, it could be. I saw they I saw they demoted him, but did they not is, make a I, corresponding move? I think they brought Travis Shaw back up, so that would explain it, I guess. But Travis – I mean, Hira was playing so much better. He was. Uh, so I don't know. It just kind of it kind of reeks of something going on in Milwaukee. 
Uh, and obviously, you know, at the beginning of the year, we, we made a lot of noise about how with Knable out and Jeffers is back and pitching well now, but they could, I feel like they still need um, some guys just for death pieces so that they can fully utilize Hader and Jeffers. Um, and so that would be extremely scary. Uh, but we'll just have to see, like you mentioned, there are just so many teams that really do have that closing need. Um, and so, yeah, I agree. I think he'll definitely be gone before Keuchel, especially when you consider that Scott Boris made that the wine needs to decant reference. With yeah. Well, it's like, all right, dude, what are you getting at here? Yeah, exactly. Um, let's move on and talk about a move the Cubs have already made. And that is bringing in Carlos Gonzalez. I really liked this move. Um, I know Carlos Gonzalez struggled this year with the Indians. He hasn't been the same player as he was maybe a few years ago. But look, the guy can slug. The guy is a very solid hitter. Veteran presence. He's won a couple of gold gloves. He's only a few years removed from 40 home runs. He hit 16 last year. He's only 33 years old. I think the Cubs may have found it a diamond in the rough here. And even if they didn't, why not? You signed him to a minor league deal. You're not giving up any assets. You're not paying him a lot of money. This this is a, a move that you can make an easy, easy adjustment to. And in his first game, he got a hit, he walked, and he made an incredible catch yeah, to was- save three runs from scoring incredible catch right by that wall it's it's almost like he was accustomed to Wrigley Field already right yeah so I I initially I was I don't know I think one of the reasons I just have it out for cargo is because he has dominated us in the past Um, he's had some big games against us it was almost like more sentimental and Len loves to remind us that he has dominated us in the past um but no you're 100% right when it's a minor league deal you have a guy that is very capable of putting up close to an 800 OPS still. I mean, you got to do that. He literally slugged 467 last year. Mm-hmm. Um, you got to go for someone like that. And I, uh, I think I might write about this soon, but I think that the idea is that he can be that kind of left-handed bat in the lineup that Daniel Murphy was not last year. Um, you know, because the, the Cubs were really hoping that Murphy could come in and be a run producer, and he just wasn't. Um, you know, I think his OPS with the Cubs was in the low, low 700s and he, he didn't really hit many homers. Um, and so I think that they're hoping that especially in a lineup as powerful as the Cubs, cause you have to remember that Indians lineup is super thin. I mean, oh, it's bad. It's really bad. No one outside of Lindor and Carlos Santana and Jose Ramirez is not really having a very good year. No, he's not. Uh, so there is no protection for anyone practically in that lineup. Um, you know, and you bring him to the Cubs and you have Rizzo, Baez, Bryant, um, you know, and then guys like Schwarber or Hayward when they're cooking. I mean, you just have a number of bats that can help offer some protection. And I think that'll be a boon for him individually, too. Yeah, for sure. Now, I'm looking at Carlos Gonzalez. You're looking at his numbers overall, and like I mentioned, he's only a few years removed from a 40-homer season. You look at his OBP in his career, 344. That's pretty good. 
285 average. That's pretty good. The slugging, 501. That's pretty good. Granted, yes, I know he has played in Coors Field like his entire career, basically. But, you know, I think he shows enough plate discipline to prove that he can at least be effective, even if he's not bombing balls out of the park. And look, I'm not expecting Carlos Gonzalez to come in and suddenly regain his 2014, 2015, 2016 form. But if he's productive enough, you'll take that on both ends of the ball. Play good defense and, you know, get on base, hit with runners in scoring position. You'll take it. Right. And they just, I mean, they really did need another left-handed bat that was a little bit more slugging oriented, a little more reliable, um, especially with someone like Schwarber scuffling a little bit. Um, It's nice to see Hayward's looking like he's breaking out a bit again here, but um, you know, if you're not going to promote Ian Happ and you know, there, I guess there's, there's a reason not to do that. You just don't know what to expect after a demotion than with him coming up. But um, I think you did need to add another left-handed bat that had some slugging. And, um, you know, I think as a left-handed hitter, he's also going to benefit from having the triples corner and Wrigley and right field. Cause he's, he's got some sneaky speed too. Um, yeah, he does. And, you know, yeah, kind of, as you mentioned, he just has multiple tools. Um, and he's just a guy that you can, you can give other guys days off. You can give a Schwarber or a Hayward or an Almora, just, you can give them some rest um, when they need it and plug him in. And even Rizzo, like, I think he's, I think he's played some first in his career maybe. Um, and so that's just super valuable when you have a, a utility guy like that, uh, that can play all three outfield positions, potentially, um, maybe even play a little first. So, um, yeah. And again, on a minor league deal, I think it's, it's definitely the right move. You could play all over the outfield. And I have that feeling if Carlos Gonzalez continues to play well, or at least like well enough, he will be playing almost every day. Yeah, no, I think that's definitely possible. I mean, there's no reason not to, if he's, you know, if he's going to post a, in OPS over 800, there's just, there's no reason not to play him. Um, and I think that it's going to be, it's going to kind of come down to the the sort of decision where it's like, all right, well, if you have someone like Almora who's cooking right now, but Joe still kind of likes to platoon him, do you still just decide to platoon those two? Or are you going to, you know, plug Cargo in for Schwarber? Or are you going to really rotate him between all three? Um, but either way, if he's putting up numbers and his slugging percentage is there, then we have to because we just need as many run producers in the lineup as we can get, especially given the recent struggles with runners in scoring position. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so right now, Carlos Gonzalez will probably be paying, playing either right or center, maybe a little left to give Schwarber off, as you mentioned earlier. I think you'll see a little less Albert Almora now, mainly when lefties are on the mound, because let's face it, he hits lefties a lot more than righties. Uh, So I think that kind of adjusts the way you use Almora. And I think Hayward, you'll see him play more center field now because of that. And Hayward can play center field. It's not his his best position. His best uh, position is in right. But, you know, when you add a guy like this, you're going to see shifting like this. Right. 
Yeah, one of the things that I'm going to be intrigued at is, uh, you know, let's say Joe does go hard with the platooning. Um, what, you know, what what is that going to mean for guys like Amor going forward? Because, you know, there are a lot of people who still believe that the platooning of him and um, Ian Happ in particular last year is kind of what doomed their second halves. Um, so... Is that going to happen? Are they going to find some more consistencies? Um, and also, it's just kind of interesting because I'm I'm looking right now in his at his platoon splits, and he's Almora. That is, he's been much better against righties. He's hitting 277, 807 OPS, and five of his seven homers have come against righties. Um, so I don't know if Joe is just going to kind of continue sticking to the mantra of well, traditionally he's better against lefties. Um, and, you know, if he's going to use Cargo's arrival as an excuse for that, um, or if it's just going to be the kind of thing where, you know, if guys, if guys are hot, you're just kind of filtering them in, in and out of the rotation. Cause, um, you know, we know that Joe does like to set those lineups a day in advance. Um, and it might be nice to have Zobris back so he can say, Hey, Bodie's in now, or, uh, you know, Almora, Cargo, whoever, um, just make one of those sly suggestions every now and then. Um, but I think that will be interesting to see what he does with the card because um, it, things are not quite as they seem in terms of the platooning, at least this year so far. Yeah, absolutely. Those are all really good points. And I think that when they picked up Carlos Gonzalez, they had all these things in mind, obviously. Uh, so let's just hope he can be kind of like a Jim Edmonds 2.0. Because if you remember Jim Edmonds in 2008, he came in much to the discuss the Cubs fans, but Hey, he was pretty valuable that year in 2008. I think he hit like 19 home runs with the Cubs and obviously he didn't put up in prime numbers, but he was very productive that year. So you'd hope to see Carlos Gonzalez do something very similar to that. So moving on, I wanted to talk a little bit about the draft. Now, I know the draft is, it's kind of different when you're a team that's not really looking to draft a future. You're just kind of trying to bolster up what you have. Uh, Theo, obviously, his goal right now is to try to develop more pitching from the system. Marty, as you know, the system hasn't really produced a lot of arms right. over the years. Right. This is definitely a goal of theirs. What do you think of the draft so far from what you followed? I know there's been a number of picks, and I know it's it's so hard to know what these guys are going to be three, four, five years down the road. But if any thoughts at all, I'd, I'd love to hear them. Yeah, well, I think, you know, especially we talked right before the show about Ryan Jensen, the first round selection mm-hmm. um, and the fact that he was ranked 109 prospects in the draft by baseball America. He goes 27th. Um, you know, even guys like Jefferson and Morosi were, were talking about, Oh, the surprise of the draft from the, from the Cubs. Um, I think, you know, Theo just, he kind of knows what he wants, honestly. Um, and so does, so does Jason McLeod. And I really think that they are kind of going for that fireballer mentality. Um, because between 
both him and then you look at Michael, uh, is it McAveen? McAveen? I think that's how you pronounce it. I think that's how you pronounce um, it. You know, they both have plus plus fastballs. Um, and I think that what they might just try and do is, is you know, start with the velocity and then just try and build off that. Because um, the other thing that we talked about is that, you know, these guys, they're going to be in the minors. They're going to go through the slog for a few years at least. Um, so, you know, if they're going to build around the velocity and then start with, you know, start up with the secondary pitches, um, I don't mind it. I think that's a decent strategy. Um, obviously, you would hope that they – uh, establish better command than someone like Dylan Maples has shown at the big league level. Um, but at the same time, I think that there's just a trend now for uh, flamethrowers coming out of the bullpen. And I think that um, the drafting strategy from the Cubs kind of reflects that so far, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, obviously, people right now are looking at this draft kind of saying, what are we doing? What are we doing? I mean, obviously, you see all the pitchers and you're like, okay, I could get that. I mean, look, Ryan Jensen. He's clocked at eight ninety-eight miles an hour, hard thrower. That's kind of what we want, right? Hard throwing pitchers. Right. That's been kind of the goal for a while. Right. But again, I, this is something that isn't going to affect you for a little while. It's not like they're going to be drafted and they're going to come right to the big leagues or even come to the big leagues next year. It's going to be a while. So this is obviously a big work in progress not only to get these guys in, to work with them and get them to the majors, it's going to take some time. So, I mean, really, all I can do is hope for the best. I mean, I don't do as much homework on the draft as other people do, so I don't have all these insights or whatever. But all I can say is, hopefully this batch of arms can develop better than the ones they've tried in the past. Because look around the organization now, and look at the starting pitching that we've had. We haven't really created any of these guys. The closest thing was Kyle Hendricks, and he wasn't even drafted right. by the Cubs. We got him in a trade. So we'll just, time will tell. Yeah, I think, you know, the other thing is that there is kind of a sense of urgency. Um, and I don't know if you saw this last night too, but they were they were thinking about taking the high schooler, um, was he from – no, he wasn't from Illinois. I can't remember where he's – Matthew – what was his last name? I'm trying to remember what his last name was. Um, but they were going to take a high schooler initially, but they were worried about um, his signing bonus and contractual details, so they went with Jansen instead. Yeah. Um, and, but the other element to that is – you know, I think they might just they might want maturity and and guys who can kind of come in and show that they're willing to learn immediately and and make those take those steps to get to the next level uh, because you know frankly our pitching staff is old <laughs> and yes. uh, you know I think that we can get some more effective years for sure. I mean, the front office is certainly counting on it um, out of John, guys like John Lester and you Darvish and. Um, Obviously, Kyle Hendricks and Quintana. Uh, but, you know, we're going to need those arms to come up fast, as you mentioned. And um, you can never have enough pitching, as the old saying goes. So um, I'm totally okay with it. I think, you know, kind of as you alluded to, people are up in arms about the, Jensen in particular and his what his ranking was. Um, but, you know, Theo, when he sets sights on guys um, – it's pretty evident that he's just going to go for him. And, uh, you know, I, I think that you have to credit him 
at the same time, I know these are position players, but you have to credit him for um, for reaching deep on guys like Almora and and on Kyle Schwarber, for example, um, who have shown that they can be very competent at the big league level, and you know who we're still hoping have even higher ceilings. So um, we'll just have to see. It's going to take time, like you mentioned. Again, how can you say that these are going to be good or bad? A few years from now, it's not like the NBA. It's not like the NFL or maybe even the NHL. NHL is it's more like baseball because you have farm systems and whatnot. But, you know, the NBA, you get drafted, you go right to the league. The NFL, you get drafted, you go right to the league. That's not the case here. Obviously, the competition with these guys that are in high school and college is very, very different. Right. So I I really can't say anything good or bad so far i mean you like some of the things they bring you, you got a, a flamethrower 97 98 okay one of the kids they drafted uh through like a hundred i mean there's more to pitching than just throwing